Hi, I'm Christopher Annadale. I've tracked down some of my former students to ask, is there life after philosophy? Welcome to Life After Philosophy. My guest today is Matthew Sampson. He works as a landman or an independent contractor for a land services company working with oil, gas, and mineral rights. He also works as a youth coordinator teaching religious education for 9th to 12th grade students in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Matthew studied in the philosophy curriculum at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in 2018 and 2019. He has also earned a BS in business management from Franciscan University and a BS in accounting from the University of North Dakota. Matthew, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Dr. Andale. I'm very uh, excited for this opportunity. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm eager to hear what you have to say because as it as it happened, our connection is somewhat serendipitous. You called me up on the phone for the first time in years since I'd seen you last in the classroom to ask me a philosophy question on the very day that I had sat down to really plan out season two of the podcast. And given our conversation, I, I figured it would be a great idea for us to to talk now about the way you see philosophy fitting into the work you do, especially as a youth coordinator and, and doing educating teenagers and, and high school students. Yeah, of course. It was it's really funny you mentioned that because I was uh, I told my mom later that evening of kind of how our connection was made and what you proposed with the podcast. And um, I was telling her, he's like, you know, I, I haven't really thought too much about like calling any former professor, like hardly ever. And then the one time I do there, it was the timing with where you were at. Yeah, the, the reason I did call was I did have a question on the relationship with uh, faith and reason. And I, I remember one of your lectures back in the day at the pre-theology program there at the Mount. And the more I thought about Mount St. Mary's and the philosophy courses that I took there post when after I left the Mount, the more I realize just how much those courses made an impact on my life. And I think as a student, you know, any student, whether seminarian or a regular student, when you, when you, at least for myself, I guess, you, I, the philosophy was kind of a little abstract for my taste. You know, I was always, you know, math, science, equations, very structured. And I thought philosophy was just a little too abstract for me. Uh, but then after, especially taking the courses um, at the Mount, I think the curriculum really just put, put things together and gave kind of the structure that I was looking for that I might not have realized um, from the outside looking in. And one thing I remember very clearly is our first cosmology class with uh, Father Donahue, we had that semester, mm -hmm. and he was talking about uh, it was theoria and praxis and techne, and I was so overwhelmed. I was like, I, I'm not sure what any of this is. And as we went through the courses, and then with the supplemental courses with your your course in logic, I know I've told many people post seminary, I wish logic was a required course for every student at every university or even in high school at all levels. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity. And I, I can talk more into it in a specific circumstance, but uh, 
I, I think I, the words that I used when I spoke with you is it was really life changing. Wow. Uh, could I ask, I don't actually know this detail. You have a degree in business management and another degree in accounting. Was that from before you came to uh, study philosophy or after? Business management at Franciscan was before. That was my undergrad right after high school. I believe I had one philosophy course. It was philosophy of the human person. Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, like it was still very abstract. And I did not see like why I needed to take that course. And then the accounting degree uh, came post-seminary. I see. Okay. So uh, this here's interesting uh, sort of a pra practical study sandwich with uh, with philosophy <laughs> yeah. philosophy in the middle. But 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 I want to get right to the, the the interesting part. I think is that you work as a youth coordinator, and one of the things you said to me was that the the the, the philosophical formation you've had, the education you've had, is is directly relevant to that. I wonder if you could say something about how how you've seen that come out, both both sort of in your ordinary life and and upon reflection, thinking about what what role philosophy plays in the kind of work you do today. Yeah, of course. I I think. Pre-seminary at the Mount, pre the philosophy curriculum, I was very complacent and I just kind of accepted things it's like, you know, it's just the way things are. And I might not have had that, um, I guess, metaphysical or search for truth and knowledge. And um, the, the curriculum really drawn, drew me to that search for truth and kind of the transcendentals, like the truth and beauty and goodness. And I think the catalyst there with the curriculum, it kind of permeates into every aspect of my life. And I know philosophy could be seen as useless, that distinction between usefulness and youth uselessness. But I think just the the impact and just the, the marvel and the wonder at being as being exists so having that core, like I said, it kind of permeates into everything I do. So with the with the youth group that I teach now, it's a great group of high school students, um, typically between like 20 and 30 students each week. Mm -hmm. And it is a um, religious education. So I mean, it's very theology based. But I think the foundation is that I've been trying to teach is that search for truth, the search for happiness, the desire for happiness. And pulling in like St. Augustine, um, Thomas Aquinas, and how many things just on a natural level can be articulated using philosophy and showing the, the students that, you know, yes, this is a religious education course, but at the, its foundational level, there's so much reason and um, knowledge and truth to it that kind of allows us to climb that ladder of considering our faith ultimately. But uh, I guess one of the things I think I mentioned, but yeah, those three things like truth, happiness, and free will. Mm -hmm. And then also kind of the, the natural law of just our innate ability to understand and to desire to know our nature. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that students are responsive to this? Yes, I believe that they are because it was last year, one of the first few lessons is when I really implemented that, uh, really taught about that truth, happiness, and free will. And I think it was kind of um, unique to them instead of uh, maybe some of the curriculum that they had before, because like I said, I, I feel like it's so foundational 
to any knowledge is to kind of proceed with that structure of we can see things naturally mm -hmm. um, proceeding to the divine. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting here because in a religious education course, people might expect authority. They might expect uh, dogma, and you know, here's what to believe. Believe it. Uh, and and so, some students, including you know some some more advanced college and seminary students, might be surprised to find out uh, at the initial start of a philosophy curriculum that there's a whole lot to religious belief and practice and doctrine that is in fact natural. And, and it's predicated upon natural reason that can be understood through philosophical means. And uh, for, for some people, that's that's a kind of a turning point. You know, it, it's it's the beginning of uh, a deeper intellectual life of faith. Is that something you've seen with your students or experienced yourself? Well, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it seems nowadays um, people tend to separate that faith and reason and have one or the other but you know once theology is like founded upon one's cosmology and like the view of the, the world and so like a, kind of like in the curriculum at the mount you have the two years of philosophy even before you have your dedicated theology to have that uh foundation like i said and um yeah you can really proceed but there, there's so much on the natural level and that reason uh, relationship with faith. And with that relationship with faith and reason was that fides and ratio that you alluded or you taught us when I was there. And one of the quotes that I drew from there was um, by John Paul II when he said, whenever men and women discuss a call, discover a call, excuse me, to the absolute and transcendent, the metaphysical dimension of reality opens up before them in truth, in beauty, in moral values, in other persons, in being itself, in God. And I think that quote, you know, is kind of how it started for me, that discover the call to the absolute and the transcendent. And by discovering that call has kind of compelled me to learn more personally. But then by learning more personally, I'm able to share that with the students to help them to discover their own call. Because I've told them before, it's not that I'm teaching you guys this material for you to memorize just because I'm teaching it. I, I, it's kind of a bigger picture is to teach them how to ask questions and how to think, not necessarily what to think. Well, that's great. That sounds like you're, you, you, you've, gone into, uh, you've gone into philosophy teaching, rather, <laughs> uh, like, uh, like me in, in your own way. Do you find that there's a hunger out there for this? Uh, a previous guest of mine and said he thinks that this this rather hopeless generation of students with, with the sort of social reality that they face really does sort of deep down have a hunger that 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 responds to the kinds of the kinds of things that good philosophy can offer them. Has has that been your experience also? Yes, it has been. I think the student, especially young students now, I you know I don't call myself too old, but uh, mm -hmm. it just seems like a completely different um, environment, social environment with the technology. And I believe students now, they they just get bombarded by all kinds of ideologies and you should do this, you should do that um, via social media or just the news. And I feel like students now can be um, taught through like sensationally or mm -hmm. sensationalized 
through the news media or through social media. And they kind of just are drawn with that quick reaction to certain things. And by teaching them kind of that ability to, to question and to, to search and to find that underlying truth in so many things, I think that can be very useful for them, especially as they move on to whatever colleges they want to or whatever they pursue in the their future. Yeah, do you do you do you think that the students today in in the age range you're thinking about are a bit less cynical than they might have been, say, ten years ago? Um, that's a good question. I, I think ten years ago, like we might have had. I think they would be less cynical. I think now with the internet age, they kind of, you know, it's hard to distinguish or differentiate kind of who's the source, who's telling me um, what ideas. And I think they can be drawn, especially if they, if they like the person and even if the person might not be telling the, the truth in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I think they could be um, a little bit less cynical nowadays. Yeah, that, that that's an observation that I've 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 had debates about this with with colleagues of mine whether what, what the sort of generational change is like how how the current uh, students that we see in college are a little bit different from the millennials that we saw in college you know, eight ten fifteen years ago. I wonder if you have any success stories to share from your your teaching. Has there been any sort of event that's that's happened in class that you've you've found to be really rewarding or that seems to have opened up a gateway for for one of more of your students to to really move move farther in this in this love of truth you spoke of yeah so as far as individual success stories i think before i get to the individual one i think just having the students attend this class mm -hmm. to having them attend religious education especially when they've already been confirmed but to just have them there i consider a success story um, because students nowadays have so many um, sports and activities on their plate that by them showing up, I consider a success story. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I've, I've heard something maybe parallel to that, some observations that there's also a certain kind of torpor and apathy that can afflict some young people as well in the sense that they're not overscheduled and super busy and unwilling to do things. They're just unwilling. They would be unwilling to do things simply because they're, they're not motivated to do anything at all. And I was thinking if, if students are coming to your classes, then they're not falling into that camp either. I, I apologize for the interruption, but what, what, what do you think of that? Is that, is that a thing that, that's happening where you are at, or is that perhaps something that, that's maybe more regional to me? You know, I, on a specific level, I believe there might be some students that might have more an ap apathetic approach but uh, from my experience, especially um, on Wednesday nights when we meet for this this course or this religious education, it seems like the students that are there have a desire to learn mm -hmm. and they're engaging in class. And um, you can tell by their faces that they are kind of inspired by the teaching. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. That's that's great to hear. I'm, I'm sorry to have interrupted you. You were You were in the middle of speaking to a success story, please go on. Yeah. So I, like I said, so collectively just the, them, the students attending, I consider a success story, but then the other success stories I consider 
you know, anytime a student asks a thought provoking question, I, I just love to see that and having kind of seen where they're coming from by asking the questions. Mm -hmm. And then also, since it is a religious education course, you know, anytime you see a student that is active outside of the religious education, you know, whether they're volunteering at something or going on a, a mission trip or a pilgrimage and kind of going outside of themselves. I, I love to see their, the students' engagement and participation in things outside of our typical uh, Wednesday evenings. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And did you say you also had an individual success story to share? Yeah. So when the students are participating and like volunteering and I, I'm not sure, I don't want to name names, but no, sure there are individuals. There are individuals that uh, I have seen that basically um, it seems like they jump at any opportunity to to grow or kind of go outside their comfort zone. And so there there have been a number of students that are just so fun to to watch them engage their faith and to live their faith. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now you, you said before you mentioned Augustine, you mentioned Aquinas. Are there certain texts that you that you teach or that you use in presenting to the students that you found they've received very, very well? Fides Eratio, maybe a little bit complex, but are, are there are there things that you keep coming back to as you go through class after yeah. class? Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't say explicitly from the text, like uh as a separated uh, item list, mm -hmm. but I think just overall. Um, you know, one of my favorites is uh, Joseph Pieper. Oh, fantastic guy. What, what do you use by him? So leisure is the, ba the basis of culture with the philosophical act. Mm -hmm. um, I remember reading excerpts at the curriculum at the Mount, and I recently reread it, and I bought copies for my entire family oh, for wow. Christmas. And um, his book, A Brief Reader on the Virtues of the Human Heart, I've read. That's like my airplane book. I, I read it. And it seems like I can get through it uh, pretty cool, but I just read it over and over because it seems like every time I read Joseph Pieper, there's always more to draw out. That man's just an inexhaustible treasure, I have to say. I I, I could 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 just get lost in his works, absolutely. That's a great word to describe him. It's just a treasure. Well, and then so another recent one, I've um, just about finished with Mere Christianity uh, with C.S. Lewis and the examples of morality and uh, teaching the students from there. And with Thomas Aquinas, you know, he's <clears throat> pretty dense, I, I think one could say. Yeah. So I try to um, simplify it. So that's kind of like the natural law. And then also with Thomas Aquinas, kind of the, the philosophical psychology and kind mm -hmm. of the, the nature and structure of sin not so much in the religious sense, but just how our intellect is ordered to truth and the will is ordered to good right? and the relationship between that. And then uh, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, right. Fides et Ratio. And um, there's just so many authors that I pull from that kind of get combined into the curriculum. So like I said, I, I might not go through an explicit text for them yeah. on a certain night, but it really just kind of draws into so much of the teaching. Do you think the students have a favorite? Is there is there something that they really uh, that really lights them up? Whether it's it's Peeper or or C.S. Lewis or or anything else? Maybe C.S. Lewis. Yeah. 
because like I said, with the, with a peeper, I'm not explicitly like going through the text. So they might um, not even recognize which one is peeper, which one's St. Augustine. Sure. And I could do a better job at like presenting the authors of um, so they can distinguish which one is which, but. Uh, well, it's not a class about books. It's, it's, it's about yeah. ideas and formation. Yeah. That's really great. I wonder if you, you, do you see your work here as, as uh, sort of, continuous with or sort of next generation from the kind of life-changing experience that you had w with me and with other professors at the Mount? I mean, are you, are you sort of paying this forward in terms of your your encounters with, with high school students in religious education? Yeah. So the, I would say the way, um, like I said, it's kind of that foundation of like how to think versus what to think. Mm -hmm. And so my goal is for them when they venture out from their homes to to be able to use these principles and the reason <clears throat> and to have that love of truth that they can apply um i guess apply used colloquially but uh yeah to everything that they do not just their religion but like to their their job their their view of reading the newspapers and to, the, to have that love of truth and beauty and goodness, I guess, is the ultimate goal. Yeah. I wonder if it would be possible for you to uh, to follow up with some of your students a few years from now and see how their, their particular encounter with reason and the life of the mind with you shaped their encounters in the years ahead in college and the workplace and other places. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, thinking out loud. I don't know if there's any way to do that, but it would be wonderful certainly for you, I think, to talk to somebody in two or three years and have them tell Yeah, I would that. love that. So this yeah. is, it's only my second year um, of teaching them because I, I went and got that accounting degree after seminary. And like I said, it's my part-time job. I do have my main full-time. So I, I, I dive into it as much as I can. Um, but I would love to reconvene and to hear their experiences once they venture out and to hear their view of the world, I guess, after leaving our group. Yeah, excellent. Uh, let me ask you this. this. This is a situation you have where you do have your full-time job, which, which is focused upon a very specialized field that, that you're good in. And then you have the, the place where the philosophy is most relevant is this, this part-time work that you do in religious education. How do you tie these things together in your own sense of self of who you are, is there a sort of philosophical element to being Matthew Sampson, who's, who both does this mineral rights work and who teaches education? Or are you, are you, as it were, kind of working, working two jobs? Yeah. So fortunately for my circumstances, both jobs are very flexible. Mm -hmm. So that allows me to do both. I think having the part-time youth coordinator job like I think I've mentioned before is just that the passion behind it and that um, by, by teaching some of these philosoph philosophical principles, it um, almost, I, I have to know what I'm teaching about before I'm teaching the students. So that, right. that has really been a catalyst to learn for myself. And so the, the main job, I guess I might not be using this, these philosophical principles, but having that proclivity or that desire to really study and to learn this philosophy and to be able to use it 
and to to share it with others. I think that's I, I sent a uh, an email to the parents of the youth group, and I discussed in the email how inspiring it is to see these students and their desire to learn. And mm-hmm. I think by seeing that, it really just cements that uh, you know what what you're doing as something that isn't just affecting yourself, but affecting others. That's great. That's also a great example, of course, to your students as well and everybody who knows you. Let me ask you what, what I think is, is becoming the, the, the final question of the show. One, one thing I've asked most all my guests is, what kind of advice would you give to someone who is interested in, curious about philosophy, but hesitant to pursue a more formal study to major or minor in philosophy if they're a college student or who's worried about its effect on their lives or whether it's whether it's a waste of time what do you have any advice from your experience that we've talked about or that we haven't that might be relevant to someone who's in that sort of a situation the, the philosophy questioning we can say sure i would say start with a, a course on logic <laughs> <laughs> great <clears throat> i would say to have an open mind mm-hmm. um, because all philosophy starts with that wonder, that marvel of something bigger than church, like as Pieper says, transcending that workaday world. And by having that open mind and um, just allowing yourself to, to be open to that uh, field of study and to not go into it looking to get something out of it, but just to go into it just for the sake of learning something that you might not be comfortable with at the time, as I was myself. I thought, like I said, I thought philosophy was way too abstract for my mind. Mm -hmm. And after diving in and taking the curriculum, I, uh, I, it just, like I said, it was that catalyst that just inspired me and almost compelled me to pursue that pursuit of truth and reason that can be used in every facet of your career. That's great. Thank you. Very well put. I appreciate that. Thank you, Matthew, for agreeing to be on the program today. My guest has been Matthew Sampson, a landman and youth coordinator who lives in Grand Forks, North Dakota, also a former seminarian and student of mine. Matthew, thanks again. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dr. Ananel. Goodbye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Life After Philosophy. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate it five stars and share this episode with a friend. I appreciate your support.